It's time. Time to musk up. First developers develop. That doesn't make sense. Well, you know anything about computers? We must be cautious. James and Chris. The keyboard cowboys. Welcome to Salted Bites. Hello and welcome to Salted Bites. This time we will be talking about remote working, but we are joined today by a special guest. But before I get to that, let me bring in my co-host, James Best. How are you doing, sir? I am good. Thank you very much. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. You are Absolutely. moving to Spain, you motherfucker. Next week? Oh, not that soon. 26th. Oh. I am leaving these shores for good. Well, not for good. We'll be back at some point. But yeah, yeah. No, I'm 26th of February. I am getting on a plane with a one-way ticket and heading over to south of Spain. Boom. Justice. Are you looking forward to being deported shortly after you arrive? <laughs> yeah. And I'll take this opportunity to bring in our special guest for the episode, coming all the way from Newquay. It's Lucien Buzzer. Hey. Hello, everybody. The He's Zero back. Index crew are back together. Yeah, Zero Index. Back together. The three amigos, the four musketeers. Doesn't quite work, does it? No, not at all. Never mind. That's all right. How are you doing, Lucien? I'm all right. I uh, have had a nice productive day uh, wrestling webpack config, and then I built a den for my kids and a gymnastics bar across the kitchen doorway. So they're pretty nice. happy. They've been doing flips and stuff. Oh, uh, so the gymnastics bar is not for you? I tried to get on it. And uh, just to do some like, you know, rows, body weight rows and stuff, because yeah. it is quite low down. And um, my two year old uh, got a fist full of hair in each hand, waited <laughs> until I like pulled up, because I like to get explosive on these, like, boom, you know, right into my chest. And as I went up, she jumped into the air and then like yanked down. <laughs> Also, at the same time, uh, my six-year-old was lining up a real good, like, stomp to the groin. <laughs> um, it's so, being bullied by your kids. <clears throat> it's terrifying. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but, like, my, my two-year-old charged into my office earlier with boxing gloves on, shouting, pum, pum, <laughs> uh, and then proceeded to, like, hit me with them. Um yeah, I'm, I'm breeding a, a race an of small warriors. An army. Yeah. Like, are they like Ewoks? <laughs> a bold Ewoks. <laughs> this is uh, one of the perils of remote working. <laughs> <laughs> and at any time you could be assailed by smaller smaller versions of yourself. Yeah, there was a snow day the other day and one of her mates from school came around and uh, it was just carnage. They, were just, they just did not give a flying fuck whether I was on a call <laughs> who I was talking to like I'm in a meeting with the CEO and I was like chief technical officer a bunch of other like senior colleagues they were just pile into the room I'm like sorry girls I'm on a call it's quite important and uh, also the sign is I have a sign on the door that says whether I'm on call or not like on the radio so oh. they know whether they can come in or out because sometimes I'll close the door just for peace and quiet <laughs> they, go, they go, yeah, we turned the sign around. <laughs> like, that doesn't mean I'm not on the call anymore. <laughs> I was going to say that's a really good system, but uh, at the same time, it, it only works if they, <laughs> if they respect it. Lucy, do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about where you work, who you work for? Okay, uh, so I work for a company called Belena, 
um, they used to be called resin IO and uh, people who have done any development in like the embedded hardware space might have come across us. Um, we offer a uh, essentially like kind of a deployment solution and management solution for fleets of uh, embedded devices. So um, it's notoriously difficult to do over-the-air software updates for embedded devices. You know, Intel Nooks, uh, Edison's, TX2s, uh, and well, obviously the big one is Raspberry Pis. So like Raspberry Pis are probably the majority of uh, the hardware that's out there being used for embedded systems. Uh, and I say the majority, it's like 90% of what's being used in the field uh, for real business. Um, so we offer a solution where you use our uh, OS, which is a Linux variant based on Yocto. And then on the, in that OS is a uh, JavaScript application called the supervisor that will handle um, containers. And then you write your application to run on Docker. You push it to our cloud builders. Uh, it gets built into a Docker image, downloaded onto the device, and spun up as a container. Nice. So it's <clears> not <throat> like a, we're not selling um, development time to people. You uh, you get an account and you start deploying code to to devices like straight away. So with the solution for the software side of making. Um, embedded systems that you can actually make money off. And increasingly, we're looking to move into the hardware side of, side of it as well. So you just released your own board? Yeah, released our own board called the Fin. Um, it's, a, it's a solution to um, all the problems that we've seen with Raspberry Pis. Like I said, like everyone's using Raspberry Pis all over the place. Uh, and when you see sort of 10,000 plus hours of Raspberry Pis running um, intensive applications and software in the field, you find out what's wrong with Raspberry Pis, right? <laughs> because they all send you messages saying, uh, yeah, my SD card is corrupted, or uh, this reboot thing doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. So we took this shopping list of everything that was wrong with the Raspberry Pi for doing this kind of work. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's a hobbyist tool, right? Yeah. It's not designed for doing industrial stuff. It's not designed for, for heavy commerce. Um, what about the, commu the computes? Well, they're, they're like their answer to yeah, but you, you still have you still have to put it on a Raspberry Pi. Like the compute, the, the CPU power is not is not necessarily the problem. The problem is stuff like uh, peripherals, connectors, uh, power management, stuff like that. Mm. Uh, and I I'm not an electric electronic engineer, um, so I can't really go into too much detail about this. Uh, but my understanding is that um, the idea behind the fin is that we. We take everything that's uh, that was that we saw failing on the Raspberry Pis in the field, and we fixed it. And I think the biggest improvement is like much more stable power management. So it it handles uh, fluctuations in power much better, um, and it also means that we have something we can recommend to to clients because a lot of people would come to us and say, "Okay, we're having these issues with the Raspberry Pis. Like, sounds like it's well well known. What do you suggest?" Mm. And our answer for ages was like, well, the Raspberry Pi, <laughs> like, it's, it's the best thing out there for doing this kind of work. Um, and they got to go, oh, right, OK, well, thanks for nothing. <laughs> uh, and now we actually have something that's uh, maybe a bit more appropriate to offer, which is kind of cool. 
Nice. Uh, but you can you can sign up. You get ten ten devices on your uh, fleet, which is like your collection of devices for free. Um, I would highly recommend it, especially for people who are maybe doing agency work and might be looking at doing like kiosks, for example. Um, whereas previously, you might end up having to have some custom hardware built or plug a laptop into a screen and hide it in a cardboard box, that kind of thing. Uh, with this, you could just get a Pi, uh, attach it to a, a nice flat screen, have an Ethernet cable plugged into the back of it, and then you can manage that device from you know, your offices. And I was going to say, is it worth using Berlina for single deployments? Rather, because you're saying about deploying to whole fleets of, of connected devices. <clears throat> what if you only use it? If, what if there's only one device in your fleet? Is it still worth it? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So cool. let's let's say, for example, you're you're a hobbyist, and um, I don't know you build something like a like a rain, uh, weather monitor to go mm. in your hallway. You know, like a um, smart umbrella stand. Yep. And you've got a Pi or a Pi Zero running off that. And you're like, ah, shit, I've just realized that my software doesn't account for some, you know, odyssey. You know, if it's raining for three days in a row, it doesn't light up. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I know how to fix that, but uh, do I really want to, like, flash an USD card and, like, swap that over? Um, or maybe you've, you've epoxied it into a brick, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I've seen, I've seen done. Um, but you still have a Wi-Fi connection. So now what you can do is just like fix the software, verify that it uh, it fixes the problem, and then just do uh, git push Belena master. Or if you're using our CLI, you can just do Belena push. Um, and five minutes later, it's pushed your device and fixed. So cool. So it, it, for people who are like going, oh, embedded stuff and, and hardware, it don't have to know a lot about electrical engineering or uh, Dbus and low-level Linux stuff, uh, you really don't. Um, and there's off-the-shelf solutions for doing like electron-based um, electron-based applications. So you can write your kiosk entirely in JavaScript, like it's just a regular website. Um, we've got off-the-shelf stuff for monitoring. Uh, you can do multi-container, so you could have like one container that does your UI, one container that monitors metrics, and one container that takes like temperature readings. And run them all at the same time. Nice. There's all sorts of cool stuff going on, and uh, yeah, it's it's well worth a look if you've um, if you're not come across it before. So electron apps, that's that's really interesting. So it makes it, does this give you a way in if you've maybe you know tinkered with some JavaScript based applications? Does this give you a way into this whole kind of brave new world? Yes, definitely. <laughs> and that's that's my I write JavaScript and HTML and CSS, so. Uh, for me, when it comes to a Hack Friday or something like that, like uh, I grab my Pi, which I've got attached to an LCD screen, and I write some Electron-based thing. Um, is, is Electron still a bit dumb, or is it improved? I haven't play, played with it for probably about 18 months, and it was a little bit buggy then. Um, I don't know. I have, I've never really pushed it too hard. Mm. Um, but like we... <laughs> Interesting fact about Belena, we've got probably one of the most popular Electron apps around, um, developed in-house. So, yes, um, it's called Etcher, which is the uh, image flashing tool of choice for, I think, the Raspberry Pi Foundation and a bunch of other places. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, really good bit of software. Um, and that's written in Electron, and I'm very fortunate to work with 
uh, some very smart people who have basically seen every single bug in Electron uh, and have even like gone and PR'd fixes to V8 and, and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. So if I do have any problems, then I know who to reach out for. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, to, to, to sort of answer your question more directly, Chris, uh, let's say you have an Electron app right now. So you're like, hey, this is cool. Um, I want to do something more with it. You can go and you can go and find the uh, the Lena Electron Starter project on GitHub. Um, you can just copy your code across to it and get pushed to a device, and you'll have that running on a Raspberry Pi with a screen attached to it in about five minutes. That's pretty dope. Yeah, you yeah. can't you can't argue with that. That's yeah. That's you know, I think the, probably the only thing that's like a little bit awkward about doing the Electron stuff is that you have to just tweak a few settings um, for on the Pi. But you can do that using environment variables from the dashboard interface. So using the web interface, like when you sign up and you, you create your application on the website, um, you just set some environment variables that when you get your application pushed to your device, it would just set those variables. So it's like GPU memory and a few other bits. Mm. Um, that's, um, I mean, that's pretty hardcore. That, that is just awesome. Can't think of anything negative to say about that. Whole thing. Is it quite like? Is it? Um, I don't know. Not overwhelming, but do you, do you find yourself? Um, there's lots of different things that Belina seem seem to do. Like day day to day, how how much of like the whole ecosystem do you get involved with? Um, I have a very very focused workload right now, um, but I do regular support shifts, which puts me in contact with our user base directly. Oh wow! Um, the coal face, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> So you, every engineer at, uh, at Belena will be on rotation as a, a frontline support agent. Oh, wow. So, That's like yeah. the thing they, they make you do. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, if, you, if you are going to our forums, if you are a fully paid up member and you have um, support access through our chat system. Um, everyone you speak to who is an employee is an engineer who has built some part of the system that you're using. That's very cool. Um, so we, we, we're we very active when it comes to support. Uh, we are pulling Raspberry Pis and nukes and fresh SD cards off the shelf to try and replicate the problems that you're reporting uh, and, and really try and get to the bottom of these issues. Because at the end of the day, for every person who reports something to a support agent, there are like 10 people who don't. You know, so you have to assume that when you see a problem, it's the tip of the iceberg. Um, and we do a lot of work to kind of sift through all of the data that we get from the support, uh, the support process to try and find out, okay, well, what, what are people using the application for? Like, what are we weak on? What do we want to move forwards? Uh, so the, the phrase support-driven development comes up quite a bit. But like, I imagine managing all of that is quite a task. Yes, it's uh, an enormous task. And it's something that I think a lot of people at the company are putting a lot of time into thinking about how that works. A remote team process is really, really important because you need process to tie everyone together. As the company gets grows and we bring on more customers and more uh, employees, we need better ways of handling this. I mean, when the company was 20 people, then everyone just knew what the problems that they had were. 
you know, like you didn't have to have some complicated process to make sure that you were sifting through it because everyone could just get on a call and talk it out. But with 50 or 60 people, that uh, starts to break down and you need something that's going to scale up. So um, I, I think this is something that I can't necessarily talk too much about just because it's I don't really have the right answers yet. <laughs> um, but one of the projects I'm working on is uh, an, a more efficient data management tool that will help tie all of this information together. Oh, OK, cool. Yeah, so um, to be able to, w what we want to be able to do is to have a customer come in on support. Uh, you know, they send a chat message to us, uh, and they say, hey, I've got a device. Uh, it's not downloading the container. Um, it's stuck in a loop. And straight away, we can see, OK, what device are they actually talking about? So we have like all the stats on that device. Was this device previously flagged in a different support? Uh, conversation. Um, who is this customer? What's their frequency? Um, do we like them? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding about that. We like them. Um, <laughs> Corporate Lucian is my new favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So we, we have all this information about the customer. And we have a profile about them before we even start our investigation. Like if, if we get a device come to us and it's seeing the same problem again and we look through the back stuff and it's like five different support threads where somebody's gone, hey, it looks like SD card corruption, but I'm not really sure. I, I propped it up and it's working again. You know, maybe the sixth time it, we should probably tell the customer that it's SD card corruption. They should check out a new SD card. You know, stuff like that. Right. Um, and then also to be able to... Uh, cross-link those support tickets with um, internal issues about what we've noticed or symptoms that we've seen in our platform. So like maybe we have an issue where um, the Lena engine, which is the Docker variant that we use on the, content, on the devices, you know, we have some issue where it's uh, in some situations it won't start up. So if, we could, if we're able to take that issue and link it to all of the different support tickets where it comes up, we can start sort of forensically examining why this is happening at what frequency, all of that stuff. OK, so this is observability where you would otherwise potentially, this would be an, an absolute minefield of a thing to solve, like a given issue. This is giving you yeah. an item. Yeah, yeah like, like to be able to say the question, um, OK, so I'm looking at this support ticket, and it came in from uh, a direct email, for example. And it claims that um, they're seeing SD card corruption for like the fifth time this month. Mm. Now, how long would it take to find all of the other points of contact you've had with this customer about this issue? <laughs> yeah, like, It doesn't take a genius to go, oh, pro probably a really long time. So we, what we really want to do is solve that. So it's very easy to have a complete picture of uh, every single problem we encounter. And of course, with that, you start break down, breaking down silo walls. Uh, you make the data much more accessible to all the employees. Um, you hopefully reduce the uh, communication walls that you'll typically have with remote working or even working in general, and uh, be much better equipped to tackle problems and move fast and efficiently towards solving them, which is, at the end of the day, well, everyone wants, including the customers. That's so cool. That's like having having such a finely tuned, I guess it's evolving, but a finely tuned process that, that we're, this we're not, is good value. We're not, quite, we're not 
quite there yet, but that's the no, no, cool. main <laughs> focus of a, a lot of work. And um, I think the approach of, of really focusing on um, on your tooling, on your internal process, on making sure what you do internally makes sense and isn't full of holes and you're not fundamentally wasting people's time by making them do processes that are inefficient or uh, don't work, um, so you will reap huge benefits. Uh, and a lot of, I think a lot of uh, companies are kind of afraid of doing this because they have to admit that they've not been doing it well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but if you if you could happily admit like, hey, this is what we're doing right now, it sucks, can we make it better? Um, and you start investing time into that, it's, uh, yeah, it's huge. It's quite, it's such a bold conversation to have though, and it requires this a bit of humility, doesn't it? Which, as you've just said, yeah. some companies, they're just not up for that, are they? Yeah, and I, certainly some kind, there are some people uh, who I think are in leadership roles by accident and don't necessarily have good characteristics for leadership. Mm. And I think a good characteristic for leadership is, is like you said, humility. <clears throat> if you're not able to um, rein in your ego and detach and go, okay, this, this is not working, um, or maybe you're not willing to like turn around to look at a project that you spearheaded and go, this failed, then you're certainly not going to try and change things for the better. You're just going to blindly push forward. Mm, you're not going to learn anything either, are you? Like, yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, as we all know, losing is learning. Boom. Right. That's the end of the uh, show. Thanks guys. I really <laughs> appreciate everybody being here today. <laughs> Love it. No, joking aside. Very, very good point. Working remotely or remotely working? What are the kind of pros and cons that you both have encountered in your in, in your remote working lives? Peace and quiet. Yeah, it's Generally. a real con. <laughs> <laughs> like that bit with that BBC interview guy. Did you guys see that? Yeah, that oh, was in, amazing. That, oh. that meme was just... Yeah, it was everywhere in my company for, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and his poor wife just charging into the room like on her hands and knees trying to drag a child out. Oh, so good. Oh, ten, 10 out of 10 would uh, would watch again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, just have that repeat. But, I mean, that that's a real that, – that, that counterpoint there, peace and quiet versus, you know, the apocalypse happening right outside your door. Um, Lucy, I liked I liked what you mentioned earlier about you had you have like a sign, right? Shut up! Or, or <laughs> so um, when you have young children in the house, it's very important to uh, be very clear about what your expectations of them are, and also to make it very easy for them to understand. Something really visual, like a big sign that's either green or red, uh, that works. And also being forgiving of them if they interrupt you, like. You know, hopefully that guy doing the BBC interview didn't get angry with his kids afterwards because uh, they don't have a clue. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. Yeah, so uh, working from home, I don't think I could go back to an office now. Really? Uh, no. I think I'd, I'd maybe consider doing a shared workspace, but on the condition that it's like my space, if that makes sense. Shared workspace yeah. with other colleagues from your company or shared Definitely. workspace with others? With like really? other people from completely different professions, you know. But I, so I, my first daughter, I was working in an office, 
when she was uh, when she was born, and you know, through to when she was four. Uh, and my my second daughter, I was I've been around at home since she was born. So I've been working from home for just over two years now. And the um, I saw my second daughter far more. I have seen her far more, and I've been able to watch her grow, which has been incredible. Um, seeing her every day on my lunch break, uh, pottering around the house, stuff like that is that's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's fantastic. Um, cooking in your own kitchen Oof. is very hard to beat when you <laughs> when you like go and work in an office after you've been working at home, just you know cooking yourself some pasta or doing a stir fry at lunch and. And then suddenly it's like, hey, guys, we're, uh, we're all going to go for a little lunch break now. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe they've ordered some food in. You're like, so I've just got to eat what you tell me to eat. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you tell me to, what? What's going on? No. Definitely not allowed a, uh, any any sort of heating implements to cook uh, croissants, are we, are we Lucien? Oh, that, that being said, burning down the office. The, the Belena London office has a fully equipped kitchen in it. Um, just no ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do a they do a fry up every like every month. I think yeah. everyone brings in an ingredient. They just cook bacon for two hours. You remember, James? You remember bacon? I remember it. <laughs> Laughed up, bitches. So wakey wakey, <laughs> vegetables <laughs> and sadness. <laughs> uh, on, a, on a serious note, with the with the working from home thing, um, it's very very important that you have a separated space that you do your work in, and when you finish work, you either put that space away or you close the door on it. Um. It's also very, very important that you are incredibly disciplined with the work, with your working times. Um, this this can change person to person, but I think if you're going to start for the first time, just start off being really disciplined and see if that works for you. I set an alarm on my phone. Uh, when that alarm goes off, I stop working. It doesn't matter what I'm doing, uh, unless we are in some kind of like critical system failure, complete disaster, meltdown scenario, I'm just going to turn my computer off and walk away. Um, I start work at 9 o'clock every day. Uh, I might sit down with a coffee 10 minutes before that and look through some email. But um, for the most part, I just keep 9 till 5.30 every single day. Nice. Zero nice. commuting. Hmm? Zero commuting. Zero, zero commuting huge um i mean we we're looking at some numbers earlier and a huge amount of people that commute like an hour plus every single day just in the uk um that is a, a huge amount of time and that is time that you're never going to get back like yeah. if there's one if there's one currency that is more valuable than anything it's it's time and honestly, I think it's it's hard to understand yourself because we spend a lot of our time, a lot of our time wishing time away, right? 
but for employers like i feel like employers have a have like a moral responsibility to not waste your time like it's immoral to waste people's time that's my stance on it and i think if you apply that to to a lot of our software work you start to realize why process is so important like i went to the shop the other day and uh uh, my local Morrison's has a petrol station attached to it and they're like renovating the petrol station and they just had a guy stood outside like at the entrance to the petrol station holding a sign that says please use pay at pump wow what a phenomenal waste of that man's time <laughs> like is there literally nothing else he could be doing he just stood there in the cold holding a sign like you know how many things can hold signs <laughs> Many. Literally anything. <laughs> Literally anything. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 immoral, and people shouldn't stand for it. Do you and, think it also makes good business sense, like not to waste your employees' time? Because, like, what what are you paying them for? Like, why why is anybody here? Yeah, and if you imagine if you could solve all of the difficult problems that you have solved right now, you know. Uh, I, that, I scrambled that sentence. If all the different difficult problems that your business is facing, if you could solve that, solve those. Imagine what other difficult problems you didn't realize you even had until you had solved the immediate ones, right? Mm. So if you start taking care of your employees' time, and you'll find that they start having time to solve these difficult problems you have. And when they solve those difficult problems, more problems emerge that you didn't even realize you had because you were so focused with these other issues, but you weren't letting your employees solve them because you were wasting their time constantly. Oh my God, I mean, that is just so true in, uh, particularly I, th I find agency environments so wasteful in that, in that regard. Like you won't give your devs the time to write tests or to set up proper staging environments. You'll just hound them to ship product until the end of time, but you won't fix the underlying problems you've got in your development team, which is that you're not actually pushing quality because you're not letting people stop to fix these issues. Sorry, that spoke really, really close to my heart for a minute there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I've had a lot of time to reflect on, on working in a busy agency environment. And um, there's, it's a means to an end, right? If, sure. if you are interested in, there's an undeniable problem in agency work in that you will be working for maybe four weeks on a project that you may never see again. And if your tests are going to catch a, you know, they have a, they have a 5% chance of catching something that's going to come back to haunt you in a, um, you know, come back to haunt you in terms of support work or something else down the line where you have to fix it under warranty or something like that. That is a calculated risk, okay? So there's a reason we don't salt roads or, or have snow plows readily available in the UK because it doesn't snow that much and it's more cost effective to just shut down the country for a couple of days every other year than it is to have clean roads. Now this might sound ridiculous, but there is a, um, you know, there's a cost effectiveness there. Like what is going to yield more return, making developers spend more time writing tests so they have to, so they deliver a robust product, or gambling on the one in twenty chance that you ship something broken. Now, 
And as a project increases in complexity, then you should really that 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 benefit diminishes, right? Because a more complex product is more prone to bugs. So if you're going to be working on something for a year and you know you'll be working on something for a year, you need to really be shipping robust products because otherwise you undermine the faith that your client has in what you build um, and you hate yourself. And you'll, you'll pay for it. As, somebody will pay for it at some point, like whether it's in monetary or just in time. Yes. Uh, so you're not. It's it's not quite technical debt, but it is. It's, no. it's all sorts of debt. Like the, the solution that I see here is, and there's always a solution. The solution I see here is um, addressing these at a more fundamental level. In the okay, if the issue is that you it's not cost effective to write tests for every product you ship. Can you write tests once and then ship many products off the back of it? But you can pitch the same tech to your clients and, and just have a generalized system that lets you ship like 70% tested code every single time. Or is there a paradigm you can use that makes it much easier to write robust testing? Could you use TypeScript to make sure that you're catching errors before they even happen? Uh, could you look at your um, reports and logging to make sure that you're aware of problems much quicker so you can catch them in your staging environment and fix them before they get deployed? There's a, there's a lot of different strategies there you can use to save time. Um, but again, there's either it's a lack of imagination or an unwillingness to address these kind of issues or even uh, not thinking about it that much. I think it's it's also when... Uh, somebody like nobody high up enough gets what tech is or what does, which is very prevalent in, you know, in, in agency environments. Let, you know, you'd, you'd hope it's less so on client side. Like Lucian, you work with a lot of very, you know, good, intelligent, competent developers who also have reasonable, I would assume, clout at a sort of executive and managerial level. Um, I don't want you to, you know. This your colleagues here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I kind of called you that. Didn't I? <laughs> hey, listen. What do you think about the people you work with? I mean, really, what do you think about? Them? I'm I'm very I'm very lucky as I have been in the past to work with um, incredible people. And uh, one thing that I one thing that I've noticed uh, in the last year or so, I'd say, is that these problems are not tech problems. These problems are business problems. These problems are leadership problems. These are process problems. They are not unique to the to the tech world. Um, the language we speak is slightly different, and the tooling that we need to use is slightly different. But the core of the issues, the the, the core pieces, are still still the same. Um, you know, are you being efficient in your decision making? Are you wasting your employees' time? Um, do you have strong goals and strong visions? Are you making sure that you are solving problems once? <laughs> this, that's a big one, right? Like we talk about dry code. What about what about dry business practices? Ooh, steady on. I mean, these sound bites are fucking gold, Lucy. Um, you know, it's basically the clip show. When we get to episode 404, the clip show that we do is just going to be you. <laughs> uh, no, I completely agree. Um, business problems, not just tech problems, not just code problems. It, it, it's the rot goes all the way up.
That's not yeah. what I said at all, but <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of in terms of my employees having uh do you say managerial clout or something like that? I did say that. I thought I was really pleased as well. Yeah, uh, I think that's it's it's really good to to have good relationships with um whoever's the leadership in your company. And luckily we have a very flat hierarchy at Blaina. Um so typically it's a sort of speak now or forever hold your peace sort of deal. You see something that's not working, you raise your hand and it gets talked about. Uh, we have scheduled calls for discussing different things. So hmm. there's uh, scheduled calls for architectural problems. They're kind of like dojos or think tank sessions where you discuss architectural problems you've seen with our software stack. Uh, or maybe a big decision needs to needs to be made. And every one of those calls has the CTO and the CEO and a bunch of senior guys there. And you just hash it out. And we have the same thing for uh, team process, for support. Basically, every single aspect of the company uh, is regularly discussed in process. Well, that's good. So, and that comes back to process again, doesn't it? Yeah. And your your managerial clout is, um, is as heavy as your voice. <laughs> you know? So if you can turn up to a, if you can turn up to a, to a call with a thought out and reasoned argument or a valid point that you've researched that you want to discuss, you've got as much clout as anyone else. Now there's, I say that actually there's a there's a caveat there, right? A lot of these kind of uh, flat hierarchy models and and generally like relation relationships in general, business or otherwise, they work on an invisible currency of trust. So if I come to you and I say, um, Chris, I've, I've found the best solution for UI frameworks. Like this is the best UI framework. Bullshit, I'll say. Yes, because you don't trust me, right? <laughs> but if, you had, if I'd have come to you many times before with similarly outrageous claims that proved to be true, or that they were you know, reasoned enough that you were like, okay, that's about the point. You're more inclined to trust what I'm saying, right? Indeed, because I have a track record of being a trustworthy person. Um, similarly, if uh, if you say some, if you're my boss and you say something to me like, uh, "Okay, well, you know, I see what you're saying. See how it goes. Let's talk next month." And next month, you come to me and you've put a event in my calendar and scheduled a call, and you come back to me exactly when you said you would. I trust you. So if you say something outrageous like. Oh, we're moving all our communication systems to Outlook. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to go, you know what? I trust that they're doing it for a good reason because they have a track record and they, they are spending their currency of trust with me. They can't keep doing outrageous things like that because they will use up all of their, their trust dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's this invisible currency of trust with everything. And, and the more trust you build up, the more clout you have. Right. Um, but the only way to do that is with like <laughs> is doing things in a genuine and uh, honest manner. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I I will I will take this opportunity to all the things you said. I think are the the hallmarks of a like an awesome company. By the way, like that, a, any company that followed the advice that you've given that, I would be like, well, these guys have obviously got it worked out. And you'd be wrong. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, I think, okay. I think, uh, I think there's, there's the relative and the absolute as, uh, as my boss says a lot. 
Shout out Alexandros Mourinhos. Uh, we're relatively doing quite well. Uh, I look at other companies, I talk to other engineers, and um, they talk to me about the, their process and their practices, and it's uh, nothing short of horrifying. Um, <laughs> but when you look at the potential, we're, we're really not doing very well. So relatively good, absolutely terrible. That's really interesting. Are you not though giving yourselves the the opportunity to succeed at some point? Like you know, <laughs> like at some point you're giving us you're laying these solid foundations and you will get there. Is that is that kind of the idea? I uh, will get better. So th this is this is great saying that I had. That's like um, it's it's the fat in the steak that gives it the flavor, right? Yeah, yeah. I, so so I, if you start cutting away all the fat from the work you do, and you think of the fat as being the time wasting, right? Do you lose the flavor? But the interesting thing about real world problems is that you never run out of fat. You can always find more fat, <laughs> right? <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> so you can keep. It's like I was saying earlier. You don't know about the problems that you don't know these unknown unknowns because you haven't solved your immediate problems. So you solve your immediate problems and you get a bit further along, you know, you become more relative, relatively you become a bit better. Mm. Um, but like, absolutely. You're still like, pfft, it feels like there's still a lot of problems we're not fixing. And I think you solve all of those problems and you're going to find a ton more that will reveal themselves. Mm. And you go, okay, well, absolutely. We're, we're still not doing very well. Maybe you could like go, well, do you remember what it was like last year? So you can go, you know, you're moving, but it's very hard to know what the end of that road looks like. Uh, I guess uh, given more thought, we could probably reason about it and have a, like an idea of like what the ideal is. Um, but then you'd start like, once you got to the top, you'd probably look back down and go and like sort all the little details out, right? Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I guess coming back to we we were talking about like the pros and cons of um, of remote working, and we we kind of came onto this with the um, we, we were talking. It's, it's process again, isn't it? Which is where we were, which is what a lot of what we've just talked about is is, is still around. It's still around process, and maybe you know it's an evolving thing. But what kinds of how, what is the roadmap to getting to getting good? Like in terms. Of, You've got a remote team. Maybe you're joining a remote team, or maybe you're a manager. You've got a remote team. Like you've mentioned a few things already about how you can maybe get the best out of them and give yourself this roadmap to, as you were just yeah. saying, like a road, roadmap to success. Oh, stop it! The business. <laughs> uh, yeah, very businessy. But um, yeah, if you want to, if you want to make the most of it, um, firstly, you you've got to be okay with spending a lot of time on your own. Um, and if you don't like the sound of that, you don't like the sound of getting in the silo for like eight hours a day, <laughs> then maybe you shouldn't be doing remote work. Um, the other thing I would do is, is find um, trusted colleagues that you can go to for advice or ideas um, because they'll be your allies when you're having bad days. Um, I would also, I highly encourage that you do things like uh, paired code review or paired programming. Mm. Um, also, 
really, if you have a messaging system like Slack or FlowDoc or whatever it is that you're using to do company comms, avoid private messages like the plague. Um, That's interesting. My experience with these kind of tools is that uh, they they kill the environment. The environment and the community that you're trying to create, it seems non-existent. And most of the time, private messages do not need to be private. Unless you're sending personal information or, or something that you don't want other people to see, most of the time you're hiding stuff because you're afraid of what somebody else will say. And most of the time, 99% of the time, they don't care. <laughs> um, put, put all that conversation out in the open and you will find that you start building a sense of community that it takes on a life of its own that people are more engaged with each other um, and more open to doing things like pair programming with you uh, no, not being afraid to ask for help is huge as well and that kind of ties into the pair programming thing again saying things like you, you know somebody has some expertise in what you're working on you say hey i'm really struggling with this have you got five minutes to jump on a call with me just open up google meet get in there screen share um do a like live code session on visual studio uh code sandbox like there's a lot of tools out there to do pair programming um and just talking through a problem together is uh, is is huge and it gives you a little chance to do some water cooler shoot the shit come up with some ideas and um and you'll start to bond with people that way as well and that's that's another huge thing mm. yeah it, is it fair to say that like remote working makes it even more important your personal kind of relationships even more important weirdly um you at least for myself i realized how um, how important interpersonal relationships are for being a good programmer. I, I found that a lot of the problems that I've seen, that I've faced in the last two years, a lot of the mistakes that I've made have had nothing to do with my technical ability at the job. Um, and at a certain level, being a good programmer has almost nothing to do with your technical ability to, to program or write code. It's all about communication. No, it's all about interpersonal relationships. Um, whether or not you're capable of communicating your ideas clearly, uh, how easy it is for you to, um, you know, have a discussion and then come up with a plan of action out of it, um, to manage expectations with people, to be able to argue about things without losing your temper, um, mm -hmm. or or become upset. Um, those those are the kind of things that are huge, um, and if you have a strong relationship with your colleagues. You know, you know a lot about them. You're personal with them. Um, then having those kind of discussions is much easier because you're not having a confrontation with a stranger. You're having a discussion with a friend. That sounds lovely, to be honest. It really does. <laughs> Instead of having to go and uh, you know, like have a have a kind of a well, a lot of the a lot of the time when you're talking to somebody about like about code or about about something like. Something's gone wrong. Something you're maybe a little bit ashamed to ask. These kinds of things. Do, do you have to cultivate again this this? Oh, what's the word for it here? Is it? It's not being humble. It's just being. Is it giving no shits? I can't. I can't decide what the series. Is. Um, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And um, as you have to, you really have to shrug off your ego, and you have to say, you know, you you write some code. It's not good. You know, it's not good right like and if you if you didn't like if you thought it was 
if you thought it was really good, then you wouldn't be feeling like horrible about it. Right. Right. Does, does that make sense? Like yeah. you, you must know that on some level, like you've made a decision. It's probably not a line of code you're talking about. It's probably an architectural decision. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. You've made some architectural decision or you've invested time into a, a plan of action that wasn't a good idea. And you know it was a good idea. And now you're in a call and there's a reckoning about it. But you don't want the work you do to be bad. You want it to be good. So you have a vested interest in like fixing the problem. Right. So you could sit there and like and I see this, I've seen this a lot where people will just defend their ideas to the hill. Well, I did this because of this. And then we have this discussion and you said that was okay. And that's why I thought it's already done, dude. Like we've already done this work. Uh, I've already finished, you know, something that, that's in the past. So right now, you know what you did is bad. Let's find out what the best way to fix it is. Is there anything we can learn from what happened before? Um, your job isn't to like stand there under. You're not there to like go under scrutiny and be cross-examined uh, to find out everything you did wrong and be punished for it. You're there to fix the problems. You know, so being able to like emotionally detach from the work that you've done even if you've like put a lot of effort into it is really important because you can kind of look at it in a, in a third party way you can be analytical about what you've done and if somebody says like jesus why did you do that and you're like yeah we should i definitely want to fix that and you write a note like this needs to be fixed and then you move on to the next thing right. or you can say jesus why did you do that and you're like well, I thought it was a really good idea at the time. And to be honest, you're making me feel a bit sad. <laughs> you know, and it took me a long time to get that. I used to get very emotional about the, the work that I'd done. And, uh, and when it came to criticism of it, I felt like I wasn't being valued. And, you know, the work I was doing, you know, nobody cared about. Nobody realized how much effort I was putting in. And, there were just violins playing everywhere. Yeah. Time. And the reality was, it was like, yeah, you put a lot of effort in, but you shouldn't have, and that was pretty stupid. And the sooner, the sooner you realize that you kind of screwed up a little bit, the less likely you are to do it again, and you're going to avoid the situation from happening. And also, when you get like that, you, you just fall into a cycle of like being defensive, and then you know somebody's just trying to like critique your work or steer you in the right direction, and you. Uh, get very hostile with them, and then you have a terrible relationship. And then the next time you have a you have a conversation with them, all you can think about is like, oh my god, this person's my enemy, and <laughs> it's a disaster. So yeah, emotion emotionally detached from the work you've done, and being able to you know go and critically analyze it, and be completely happy with going like, yeah, it's shy, yeah, it's a bit shit. <laughs> that's that's fine like as long as you're learning from mistakes as long as you're not going to go and do the same thing again but you've got to care about your work a little bit i feel like care in the moment and then once it's done it's done if that makes sense it does it like does. like care about things that are in the future or things that you're doing right now not things that have happened again again with the sound bites lucian did you did you like prep these before you came on because they were awesome and i did have this can of pins it's pretty good Ah, that's nice. Okay. The other thing that not is not talked about enough when we're talking about remote working is just having a, having a cheeky a cheeky pins while you're deploying some code. No. Who's been hacked?
who, who has been hacked. Who, we're going to change the name of this segment to who the fuck hasn't been hacked. Really? <laughs> uh, because for fuck's sake, I mean, it was becoming a bit of a running meme with us on Zero Index that it was like, who's been hacked? Well, yeah, everybody again. But it's just, it's not, le it's not letting up, guys, is it, really? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll just throw it in there. Uh, the aptly named, no, not aptly named, the strangely named collection number one, which is basically because they don't really know where it's come from, but uh, and effectively like a massive dump of personal information was made available on the dark web to anybody who wanted to buy it. It's the dark and, web when you go on the internet with your lights off. Well, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? No. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, if if like um, all of us here on the on the podcast at the minute, dear listener, you are subscribed to Have I Been Power Owned, then you will you will already know about this because Mister Mister Hunt, shout out Troy Hunt, will have emailed you personally to say there is a sexier man alive than Troy Hunt. <laughs> if there is, then I I pity him because he's not as famous. <laughs> He's like he's sexier than Troy Hunt, but nobody knows who he is. That's right. Wouldn't that be the most tragic? Did you ever read the uh, Troy Hunt, like, what I do to stay sane as a developer or whatever that... He wrote some blog post where he's like, it's really important to, uh, you know, get out and do some physical activity. I like to windsurf. Like, of course you windsurf Troy Hunt. I bet you do it in board shots with your top off, no matter what the weather is. Showing off your eight-pack, surfing up and down the beach. It's quite a detailed knowledge you've got there, Lucy. And yeah. You take a trip to his. Um, oh God, he wrote. He also wrote a very interesting article about finance, and you know what to do with all of the millions of dollars that you're making as a developer. And then he had the he had the chutzpah, which is a great word, but that had, is a great word. The, that sounds the, Jewish. I think it is. He had the balls to then put a picture of his fucking house on uh, <laughs> in the blog. And my God in heaven, this thing is like a mansion of epic proportions. It's, you know. Was it, uh, like, it just a picture of Dan Bilzerian's house? Who? I don't know who that is. Who do I? Oh, really? I thought you guys were like on the internet. No. Dan, Dan Bilzerian is like this internet famous guy who's mostly famous for uh, uh, yeah, being, uh, being really jacked and paying strippers to hang out with him. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's a oh. bit of a dick, isn't he? I've, yeah. I've listened to a few. I've listened to a few interviews with him. He's surprisingly likable. <laughs> His Instagram is a pile of shit. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, picture number one is him stood with loads of hot girls. Picture number two is him with loads of hot girls. Picture number three is him bench pressing thirty-five kilo. They look like tree trunks. <laughs> picture number four is just an ass in a thong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the story with I think the story with the guy is he's like he's like a trust fund millionaire or something and he spends he also made a bunch of money playing poker. So he was like a professional poker player. I think he's fucking ripped. I have oh a feeling God. like he's he's been in I don't know what the deal is, but I think he went to Hell Week on Navy for the Navy SEALs like three mm. times or something. <laughs> like he kept screwing it up, um, <laughs> but he got like he would get through Hell Week and then drop out for some reason. <laughs> um, and he's like, yeah, he's uh, 
he's a very interesting guy. If you can listen to, um, there's a really good Joe Rogan experience where he goes on, he kind of talks about all the crazy stuff he's done and um, is surprisingly down to earth and likable. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, not what you would expect. Not what you would expect. Really, not what you'd expect. Uh, it's pleasantly surprised. His Instagram is hilarious. He's <laughs> shooting a fucking rocket launcher. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is amazing. Just... The other guy that I love to follow on Instagram, Instagram is Tim Kennedy. Right? Who's that? Tim Kennedy's like uh, he was a he's a army special forces ranger and sniper active service and he was a very very successful mma fighter mm. and he is on another level always oh, he's, he's on tv he's he's famously um one of the team guys on uh, hunting hitler the history channel show <laughs> which is great if you've not seen it Hi. he's he's just on another level like he put up a video on instagram the other day and he's like at the park with his son and his son's going past and as his son goes past like in this go-kart thing he pans down and he's got like an He's got like two open carry pistols and a knife strapped to his belt. Such <laughs> <laughs> a play park. What? His Instagram is good. He's a, he's another guy who's an absolute beast. That dude is a tank. Oh, I've got a new idea. I've got an idea for a new section uh, now. There, it's called um, Absolute Unit. And we <laughs> shout out to uh, all the motherfuckers that we've we've seen. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute unit. Name that's great. Yeah, Gigi Mufu definitely got to be up there. Oh yeah, I mean he'll be the first one. Yeah, Gigi Mufu. Um, <laughs> our absolute units. A guy who came across um, off Gigi Mufu's podcast is Devin Larratt. Uh, Devin Larratt. If I can find a picture of him, Jesus, this guy is a he's a professional arm wrestler. Holy shit! Look at his arms. Oh my yes. god. This is this is just on another level his arms look like they're made of like five arms stuck together <laughs> <laughs> and he's uh i think he's army special Forces or canadian special forces um and also uh professional professional arm wrestling is a thing <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> and it, there's a lot of there's a ton of strategy in it people are super into it super into it the only thing I think of when I think of arm wrestling is the, that scene in The Fly where he snaps that guy's arm in half. <laughs> yeah, that shit is real. Goblin <laughs> at his best. We've uh, tangented yeah. Yeah, so hard, but let's, let's come back to um... <laughs> who's been hacked. Yeah. Who, who has been hacked? <laughs> Apart from this podcast. Oh, by Lucian Buzzo and his MMA tail yeah. uh, henchery. So, okay, right. Who's been hacked? Collection number one. Everybody. Uh, everybody. <laughs> so, Troy, Troy, Mr. Troy has got a set of email addresses and passwords totaling something like 2.6 billion rows made up of many different individual data breaches from literally thousands of sources. Hmm. Hmm. In total, there are at least 1.1 billion unique combinations of email addresses and passwords. The unique email addresses come down to a more modest 772 million. That's pretty terrifying. And yeah, that's that's quite a lot. But are all the breaches 
like are all these breached accounts just bots well like it, i want to i want to know how many of these are bot accounts because if most of like twitter is bots if there's a twitter breach is it not just loads of non-human accounts well they could be but there is a very interesting article that Troy's written that sort of slices and dices up what's going on with this data set and like to what degree is this yeah are these bots to what degree have these are these accounts that have already been like powered before and yeah, into some interesting detail on that well of course we'll link it in the show in the show notes but like again so what we said previously is that if you uh, if your email address was compromised in this collection uh, sorry not compromised if if uh, if you your details are in this collection and you're signed up to have I been powered you will have received an email and you'll already know about this that being said though there are plenty of people who aren't already subscribed and just won't know so yet again for the 16th million time on the podcast that we do we'll say sign up to this shit and use a fucking password manager so have i been powered.com yeah brief explanation is probably warranted for people who really have no idea what this is I don't know. We've already no. Go on, then. Lucian, give us a summary. Okay, so this website basically has a database of all of the breached password and email combinations that are publicly available. You put in your email address, and you'll see if you've been involved in a major data breach. Um, you can sign up to find out if uh, to be notified if your email address turns up in a new data breach. That's about it. <laughs> Simples. Uh, yeah, so I think unless anyone else has any any likely culprits, this is pretty much the the big the big kahuna, the big cheese. Salted picks, a choice selection of useful shit. Now let's move on to our picks, our salted picks, which I'm not sure is the right name for this. To be honest, James, it's not. We're already. We're already salted confusing picks. people on our. I've got a, I've got a salted episode. pick. Yeah, I was going to ask you to kick us off, Lucy. Okay. So this this treat called Flips. <laughs> right, Flips. F L I P Z. It's the most nineties thing ever. And when I was a kid, um, I saw these in a vending machine, like after swimming, because my mum would take me swimming, and the deal was like, after swimming you can go and get a snack from the vending machine. And as a snack-starved child, this was basically the. This is like Christmas. Um, and I saw these things and they were like, it's flips. Oh, that's a cool looking packet. It was all like metallic and stuff. And I got them and they looked nice and I ate them. And uh, I'd never eaten a pretzel before, but these were chocolate covered pretzels. Yeah. Anyway, I saw them again recently in a shop. They came in a big pack, like, you know, like a M&M share bag kind of size. Nice. They were on special offer, one pound. I'm like, yeah, what's, what's the harm? Like a little bit of, you know, a little trip down memory lane. And before I knew it, the pack was gone, and I bought <laughs> another one. And then the other day, I went to the, I went to the shop looking for them, and I couldn't find them. And when I couldn't find them, I started like panicking slightly. <laughs> and I was, like, that's when I knew I had a problem. Right. Mm. Anyway, I found the pack and I just ate them all. Yeah, when I was them. That they're, they're unreal. Morrison's have so many of them right now. Oh, really? Anyway, they're my salted pick because they're salty and they're chocolate. <laughs> that is nice. oddly, oddly specific and um, good. So, what is what is this section about? 
it's the same as we've, we just stole it from zero index. Like what's our chat? What's our thing that we're interested in that we want to, uh, do we want to talk about? Oh, usually, okay. usually tech flavored, but to be honest, I'm going to allow chocolate flavored pretzels, man. That's <laughs> ch sorry, chocolate covered pretzels. So James, you got any, uh, got any tech flavored salted picks for us this week? Okay. So tech pick number one is my new soldering iron. Ooh. <laughs> does, it you, does it have a digital display telling you how hot the tip is? It does. It does. And uh, none of this blindly guessing nonsense that I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a Yahua uh, 937. It's so pronounced Huawei. <laughs> it is basically. So there are. there's a brand of uh, soldering irons called Hako. Or haku, and they're really, really good, and they're really, fucking... <laughs> they're really, they're really expensive. So this is, they stopped producing the haku uh, nine three seven. So now it's now open up to every Chinese company to make it, and this one was really cheap and is fucking amazing. What are you soldering together? All sorts. I'm automating my house at the moment, so I'm doing. Uh, at the moment, I'm working on. Uh, so you've been increasing your attack services. Yes, it's all on the local network. That's fine. Um, so yeah, at the moment I'm doing uh, doorbell. So which oh nice. So at the moment we've got like wired doorbell, but it's a fucking pain in the ass when idiots come around and ring the doorbell when Rowan's asleep. So uh... this is going to be um, RF power doorbell. So I can intercept the RF signal and send a Slack notification rather than having it ring during times when Rowan's asleep. Very, nice. Very uh, nice. And the doorbell is a one that you plug into the mains. So I'm going to put it on a Sonoff switch and have it automatically turn on and off when needs be. Very nice. Nice. Uh, which is very cool. So my second pick would actually be the Sonoff S20 smart plugs. They're fucking great. They're really cheap. Uh, they, they're powered by the ESP8266 uh, uh, microcontrollers, which are really nice and hackable. Uh, and if you take them apart, you take the plugs apart, there are headers exposed so you can reflash them with the Tasmoto uh, firmware, which basically means that you can send uh, MQTT, uh, published MQTT stuff from direct from them. So it means it plugs into Home Assistant really well. It's really fucking cool. Sick. Nice. How about you? I can't see you. Who are you talking to? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I've, um, I've got three picks this week. I've got um, Svelte.js. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yeah. They, uh, I love it. Yeah, I've been I've been having a look, and it's, it's really spicy. Uh, I, I was at a conference last year, and everybody was talking about it. It randomly came up in the state of JavaScript survey that um, my man uh, Sasha Sasha Grief, he uh, he does this every year, and he presented some of the results at the conference. And yeah, randomly it was like React, yeah, sure, everybody loves it. TypeScript, yeah, sure, uh, and then randomly um, it was name checked as one of the frameworks that everybody was interested in and wanted to learn. Mm. So I went and been having a look in my in my own time, and it's really cool. It's very lightweight. You can pretty much plug it into any existing project you want to. Kind can, of does. Can you give us the elevator pitch for the the framework because it it's quite special. 
It's quite special what the elevator, the magical disappearing UI framework. Ah. Oh. The web's JavaScript bloat crisis solved. Svelte turns your templates into tiny, frameworkless vanilla JavaScript. That's really fucking cool. It's so really it, it ships without a, the idea is you ship your UI without a library. Mm. It's just vanilla, right? Indeed. Yep. So you can deploy it with pretty much anything. It works with like all of the, these nifty little front-end static publishing tools that you might use, like Surge or uh, Zite, whatever it's called. That kind of thing. Um, yeah, I really like it. It's uh, not not my usual not my usual game. I go for the big bloated, massive behemoth JavaScript frameworks that take over your life and yeah. meet you. No, no, no. <laughs> and it's uh, it's a Rich Harris vehicle, right? Because yes, yes, it is. I, I noticed uh, very similar to Reactive, which is this kind of previous offering. Absolutely, yes, it is. Shares a lot of the, I think, philosophies, and um, it it does have a whole bunch like. The, the, the pain point is with the build, that's not a pain point, the kind of where you need to get to is you need to decide how are you building this stuff. And usually if you're working in an existing team or something, you've, you, you've already got this kind of uh, this setup that you're already using, using like Rollup or Gulp or, or whatever you like. But, you know, funnily enough, it actually works with my, my, man, my man Meteor, my, my framework Meteor. So, yeah, there's all sorts of ways that I'm looking to use this. So I think it's quite cool. And I would like to shout out to it right here, right now. Nice. My second pick is Logo Maker. Now, on Twitter, a couple of weeks back, I went on a bit of a rampage and designed logos for, for lots of people. And I've had, you know, a lot, a lot you know, a really good time doing it. Uh, Lucian, I've made you a logo. Oh, lovely. Uh, would you like to see it? Yeah, I'd love to see it. I'd like okay. to see it. Okay, I'll put it in chat. <laughs> I'm on, what's his name? Sorry. Darian. That's not a link. There's a picture of him with a massive bag of weed. Holy fuck. Who? Dan Bozerium. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's got his own weed company. That'd be why. Um, did you know that uh, Mike Tyson has his own weed company? Does he? Yeah, it's like a luxury weed getaway estate. How can I see this logo, Chris? It's in the chat. Ah. Um, the, the the group chat on the Hangouts. I'm jumping a BMX over crocodiles in this logo. That's so yeah. good. I might use this on my blog. Nice. Wow, that's amazing. That is, that is yours, free to enjoy. That's, that's really good. Boom. Anyway, those are my two picks because Logo Maker is a great way to waste a whole bunch of time. <laughs> I've got one more pick. Sorry. Oh, go on, sneak it in there. Slip it in there, James. XJS. It's what? fucking amazing. Server-side rendered uh, React. What was it called again? Sorry, I missed that. Next. Next JS. It's both the same guy, Zeit. They did now and Surge and is it Surge? You know what? You know now though. Yeah. Yeah. So the same guys who did that. Using yeah. it in any particular framework or context? Yeah. Uh just so at the moment I'm just putting together a little uh GraphQL server side rendered React project. Mm. Um using Prisma as well as a the server side uh, GraphQL provider. It's fucking cool. Really, really cool. Nice. Excellent. Okay. Well, we will put links to all of the things that we've picked, all of the things we've talked about in the show, in the show notes. 
Um, this time, we might even treat our listeners and put timestamps against stuff as well, because I just plain forgot when I did the edit last time. So, hey, watch this space, episode three, the return of the timestamp. It's going to be great. Thank you very much, Lucian, for coming on the podcast and giving yeah, you your first guest. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, I'd love to come back on at some time. Absolutely. No, I very much want to, want you to come back on. And um, yeah, that's, that is a wrap for this episode of Salted Bites. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Remember, you can find articles, videos, and our latest podcasts at saltedbites.rocks.